0: Chapter six of The Joss A Reversion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Joss A Reversion by Richard Marsh. Chapter six Sole Residuary Legatee. Mr. Payne unfolded a large sheet of blue paper. "'This is, it appears, the last will and testament of your late uncle, Benjamin Batters. "'It is, as when you have heard it, I think you will yourself agree, a somewhat singular document. "'It came with the letter from Mr. Leonard, which I have just now read you. "'It is, so far as I know, authentic, but it is my duty to inform you that the whole affair is more than a little irregular. "'This document seems to be a holograph.' That is, I take it that it is in your uncle's own writing. Do you recognize his handwriting? He gave me the paper. I glanced at it. Emily peeped over my shoulder. Well, I shouldn't exactly like to go so far as that, but I have some letters of his, and so far as I remember the writing seems about the same. But you can see them if you like, and then you will be able to compare it. "'I should be very much obliged, Miss Blythe, if you would allow me to do so. "'A very important point would be gained if we could prove the writing. "'As matters stand at present, I am in a position in which I am able to prove absolutely nothing. "'Mr. Batters was a stranger to me. "'He seems also to have been a stranger to you. "'I can find nobody who knew him.' all we have to go upon is this letter from the other end of the world from a person of whom no one knows anything and which may or may not be genuine should another claimant arise we should be placed in a very awkward situation is there going to be another claimant and what is there to claim so far as i know there is going to be none but in legal matters it is necessary to be prepared for every emergency as to what there is to claim, I will tell you. I gave him back the blue paper. He began to read. Emily came closer. I could feel that she was all of a flutter. This is the last will and testament of me, Benjamin Batters. On condition that she does as I hereby direct, I give and bequeath to my niece, Mary Blythe, the daughter of my sister, Mary Ann Batters, who married Augustus Blythe, and who, when I last heard tell of her, was assistant at Cardew and Slaughter's, a life income of four hundred and eighty-eight pounds, nineteen shillings and sixpence a year, interest of my money invested in consols. Mr. Payne stopped. I may say that bonds producing that amount were enclosed in the package. Here they are four hundred and eighty-eight pounds nineteen shillings and sixpence a year said emily i congratulate you polly she kissed me right in front of mr Payne. for my part i felt a queer something steal all over me my heart began to beat to think of uncle benjamin of all people in the world leaving me such a fortune as that AND AT THE VERY MOMENT WHEN ALL MY EXPECTATIONS IN THE WORLD AMOUNTED TO EXACTLY FIFTEEN SHILLINGS. THERE NEED BE NO MORE WAITING FOR TOM AND ME. WE WOULD BE MARRIED BEFORE THE YEAR WAS OUT, OR I WOULD KNOW THE REASON WHY. MR. Payne WENT ON. THE WILL IS BY NO MEANS FINISHED, LADIES. THE GREATER AND MORE REMARKABLE PART OF IT IS TO FOLLOW. "'When you have heard what it is, I am not sure that Miss Blythe "'will consider herself entitled to congratulations only. "'What could he mean? "'Had the old rascal changed his mind in the middle of his own will?' "'This money,' Mr. Batters goes on to say, "'was earned by hard labour, the sweat of my brow, and sufferings untold. "'So don't let her go and frivol it away as if it was a case of lightly come and lightly go.' If that's true, Uncle Benjamin must have altered, because I've heard my mother say over and over again that he could never be induced to do an honest day's work in all his life. "'People sometimes do alter, as I have observed. "'On condition also that she does as I tell her,' continues Mr. Batters. "'I bequeath to her the life tenancy of my house, 84 Camford Street, Westminster,' "'together with the use of the furniture it contains.' "'What?' interrupted Emily. "'A house and furniture, too? "'Why, Polly, what else can you want?' "'I wondered myself, but I was soon to know.' "'Mr. Payne read on. "'I give and bequeath the above to my niece Mary Blythe "'on these conditions. "'She is to live in the house at 84 Camford Street. "'She is never to sleep out of it.' SHE IS NEVER TO BE AWAY FROM IT AFTER NINE O'CLOCK AT NIGHT OR BEFORE NINE O'CLOCK IN THE MORNING. SHE IS ONLY TO HAVE ONE COMPANION, AND SHE MUST BE A WOMAN. THEY ARE TO HAVE NO VISITORS, NEITHER SHE NOR HER COMPANION. SHE IS TO CHOOSE A COMPANION AND STICK TO HER. IF THE COMPANION DIES OR LEAVES HER, SHE IS NOT TO HAVE ANOTHER. SHE IS AFTERWARDS TO LIVE IN THE HOUSE ALONE. She is not to let any woman except her companion enter the house. She is not to allow any man, under any circumstances whatever, to come inside the house or to cross the doorstep. These are my wishes and orders. If she disobeys any one of them, then may my curse light on her, and I will see that it does, and the house and the income and everything is to be taken from her and given to the Society for Befriending Sailors." signed benjamin batters that miss Blythe is what purports to be your uncle's will but i gasped what is that at the end about stopping in the house and letting no one come in and all the rest of it those are the conditions on which you are to inherit before however touching on them i should like to point out in what respect the will seems to me to be most irregular FIRST OF ALL, IT IS UNDATED. THERE COULD HARDLY BE A MORE SERIOUS FLAW. THERE IS NOTHING TO SHOW IF IT WAS MADE LAST WEEK OR FIFTY YEARS AGO. IN THE INTERIM, ALL SORTS OF THINGS MAY HAVE HAPPENED TO RENDER IT NULL AND VOID. THEN A SIGNATURE TO A WILL REQUIRES TWO WITNESSES. THIS HAS NONE. THEN THE WORDING IS EXTREMELY LOOSE. FOR INSTANCE, SHOULD YOU FAIL TO FULFILL CERTAIN CONDITIONS, THE PROPERTY IS TO PASS TO THE SOCIETY FOR BEFRIENDING SAILORS. SO FAR AS I CAN LEARN, THERE IS NO SUCH SOCIETY. SOCIETIES FOR BEFRIENDING SAILORS THERE ARE IN ABUNDANCE, BUT THERE IS NOT ONE OF THAT EXACT NAME, AND IT WOULD BECOME A moot POINT WHICH ONE OF THEM THE TESTATOR HAD IN HIS MIND'S EYE. ALL OF WHICH AMOUNTS TO WHAT? well it amounts to this you can receive the money referred to and live in the house in question at your own risk until someone comes forward with a better title it will not need a very good title i am sorry to say miss Blythe, to be better than that which is conferred on you by this document i am not saying this by way of advice but simply as a statement of the case as it appears to me what i want to know is what's the meaning of those conditions i suppose by the way there is such a house there certainly is camford street is an old and not particularly reputable street one end of which leads into the westminster bridge road number eighty-four is in a terrace from the exterior which is as much as i have seen of it it looks as if it had not been occupied for a considerable period of time indeed according to the neighbors no one has lived in it for some say ten others fifteen and others twenty years that sounds nice cut in emily if no one has lived in it for all that time i shouldn't be surprised if it wanted a little cleaning not at all improbable from what it looks like outside the shutters are up but the window on that point i may mention a man who has a small chandler's shop on the opposite side of the road tells rather a singular story. He informed me that, to the best of his knowledge and belief, the last occupant of the house was a man named Robertson. He was an old man. Mr. Kennard, my informant, says that what became of him he does not know. He did not move. There was no attempt to let the place. HE SIMPLY CEASED TO BE SEEN ABOUT. NOR HAS A LIVING SOUL BEEN SEEN IN THE HOUSE FOR YEARS. BUT, HE SAYS, SOME MONTHS AGO, HE IS NOT SURE HOW MANY, WHEN HE GOT UP ONE MORNING TO OPEN HIS SHOP, ON LOOKING ACROSS THE ROAD, HE SAW THAT ALL THE WINDOWS INSIDE WERE SCREENED BY SHUTTERS. HE DECLARES THAT NOT ONLY WERE THERE NO SHUTTERS THERE THE NIGHT BEFORE, BUT DIRTY OLD BLINDS WHICH WERE DROPPING TO PIECES, BUT THAT HE NEVER HAD SEEN SHUTTERS THERE BEFORE, and indeed he doubted if there were such things at any other house in the terrace. If his tale is true, it seems an odd one. It sounds, said Emily, as if the house were haunted. Without going so far as that, it does seem as if the shutters could hardly have got there of their own accord, and that some one must have been inside on that particular night at any rate. No one, however, was seen either then or since there the shutters are as one can perceive in spite of the accumulated grime which almost hides the windows no one seems to know who the house belongs to or ever did belong to and i would observe that since no title deeds were in the package or any hint that such things were in existence we have only mr batter's bare word that the property was his I SHOULD HASTEN TO ADD THAT THERE IS A SMALL PARCEL ADDRESSED TO MISS Blythe, WHOSE CONTENTS MAY THROW LIGHT NOT ONLY ON THAT MATTER, BUT ON OTHERS ALSO. HE HANDED ME A PARCEL DONE UP IN BROWN PAPER. IT WAS ADDRESSED IN VERY BAD WRITING, TO BE GIVEN TO MY NIECE MARY Blythe AND TO BE OPENED BY HER ONLY. I CUT THE STRING AND REMOVED THE WRAPPER. IN IT WAS A COMMON WHITEWOOD BOX. "'Emily leaned over my shoulder. "'Whatever is inside?' she asked. "'The first thing I saw when I lifted the lid gave me a start. "'And I own it. "'There, staring me in the face, "'was the own brother of the little painted thing "'which was in the packet which the foreigner had slipped between my fingers. "'Why,' I cried, "'if there isn't another.' "'Another?' Mr. Payne gave a jump. "'That's very odd.' HE WAS FISHING ABOUT IN HIS waistcoat POCKET. I THOUGHT YOU GAVE ME THE ONE YOU HAD. SO I DID. YOU PUT IT IN THE POCKET IN WHICH YOU'RE FEELING. I THOUGHT I DID. BUT HAVE YOU NOTICED ME TAKING IT OUT? YOU HAVE NOT TAKEN IT OUT. OF THAT I'M SURE. BUT I MUST HAVE DONE. IT'S GONE. HIS FACE WAS A STUDY. I HARDLY KNEW WHETHER TO LAUGH OR NOT. IT STRIKES ME, HE REMARKED, THAT SOMEONE IS PLAYING A TRICK ON US. AND AS I'M NOT OVER FOND OF TRICKS WHICH I DON'T UNDERSTAND, I'LL PUT AN END TO THIS LITTLE JOKE ONCE AND FOR ALL. THERE WAS A FIRE BURNING IN THE GRATE. LAYING THE BOX DOWN ON A CHAIR, TAKING THE LITTLE PAINTED THING BETWEEN HIS FINGER AND THUMB, OFF HE MARCHED TOWARDS THE FIREPLACE. AS HE WAS GOING, ALL OF A SUDDEN HE GAVE A LITTLE JUMP as I suppose loosened his hold, and down the thing dropped on to the floor. He stood staring at his hand and at the place where it had fallen, as if startled. "'Where is it gone?' he asked. "'It must have rolled under the table.' This was Emily. "'But it had not. We searched in every nook and cranny. It had vanished, as completely as if it had never been.' THIS IS A PRETTY STATE OF AFFAIRS. IF IT GOES ON MUCH LONGER, WE SHALL BEGIN TO TAKE TO SEEING THINGS. IF THE REST OF THE CONTENTS OF THE BOX ARE OF THE SAME PATTERN, YOU MIGHT HAVE KEPT IT, MR. Payne, FOR ALL I CARE. BUT THEY WERE NOT. THE NEXT THING I TOOK OUT WAS A KEY. IT WAS A LITTLE ONE, AND THE QUEEREST SHAPE I EVER SAW. IT WAS FASTENED TO A STEEL CHAIN. AT ONE END OF THE CHAIN WAS A PADLOCK attached to the handle of the key was a kind of flying label on it this was written to mary Blythe, this is the key of eighty-four camford street the lock is high up on the left-hand side of the door there is no keyhole you will see a green spot press the key against the spot and it will enter the lock push home as far as it will go THEN JERK UPWARDS AND THE DOOR WILL OPEN. DON'T TRY TO ENTER WHEN ANYONE IS LOOKING. DIRECTLY YOU GET IT, TEAR OFF THIS LABEL AND BURN IT. THEN PASS THE CHAIN ABOUT YOUR WAIST, UNDERNEATH YOUR DRESS, AND SNAP THE PADLOCK. IF YOU LOSE THE KEY, OR LET IT GO FOR A MOMENT FROM YOUR POSSESSION, MAY THE GODS BURN UP THE marrow IN YOUR BONES. AND THEY WILL. THAT'S CHEERFUL READING, I OBSERVED when I had read the label to an end. I passed it to Mr. Payne. "'It is curious,' he admitted, "'in which respect it's of a piece with all the rest.' When Emily read it, her eyes and mouth opened as wide as they very well could do. "'I never,' she cried. "'Isn't it mysterious?' "'What shall I do?' I asked, when the chain and key had been returned to me. Mr. Payne considered.' you had better do as instructed, burn the label, that is, after we have taken a copy. There is nothing said against your doing that, and if you have a copy, it will prevent your memory playing you false. As for the key itself, will it do you any harm to fasten it to your waist in the manner directed? Except that it's a bit too mysterious for my taste. Some folks like mysteries. I don't. "'My dear,' cut in Emily, "'they're the salt of life.' "'Then I don't like salt. "'Perhaps it's because I'm a plain person that I like plain things. "'Here's more mystery. "'The only thing left in the box was an envelope. "'When I took it out, I found that on it this was written. "'This envelope is for Mary Blythe, "'and is not to be opened by her till she is inside 84 Camford Street.' "'I showed it to Mr. Payne, who was copying the label. "'What shall I do with that?' "'As you are told, open it when you are in the house, "'and afterwards, if it is not expressly forbidden, "'you can, if you choose, communicate the contents to me.' "'While he copied the label, I went with Emily into an inner room, "'which turned out to be his bedroom. "'Put the chain about my waist inside my bodice and close the padlock.' and it was only when I had done so that I discovered that it had no key, so that how I was to open it and get the chain off again, goodness only knew. Emily kept talking all the while. "'Polly, isn't it all just lovely? "'In spite of what you say, "'your Uncle Benjamin must have been a really remarkable man. "'It's like a romance.' "'I wish my Uncle Benjamin hadn't been such a remarkable man.' then he might have left me the money in the house without the romance. "'Bother your romance, is what I say.' "'You're a dear,' she affirmed, and she held up her hands, and very pretty hands they were. "'But you have no soul.' "'If that's what you call soul,' I answered, "'I'm glad I haven't.' When we got back to Mr. Payne, I began at him again. "'Now let me clearly understand about those conditions.' "'Do you mean to say that I'm to stop in the house all alone?' "'You may have a companion. Who must be a woman?' "'I'll be your companion. Do let me be your companion, Polly.' I looked at Emily, who stood in front of me with flushed cheeks and eager eyes, as pretty a picture as you could wish to see. "'Done.' We shook hands upon it. "'I only hope you won't have too much romance before you've been my companion long.' "'No fear of that.' THE MORE THERE IS, THE MORE I'LL LIKE IT. I WAS NOT SO CERTAIN. SHE SPOKE AS IF SHE WERE SURE OF HERSELF, BUT FOR MY PART, I FELT THAT IT REMAINED TO BE SEEN. I WENT ON. WHAT WAS THAT ABOUT BEING IN BEFORE NINE? YOU ARE NEVER TO SLEEP OUT OF THE HOUSE. YOU ARE ALWAYS TO BE IN IT BEFORE NINE AT NIGHT, AND NEVER TO LEAVE IT BEFORE NINE IN THE MORNING. THAT'S A NICE CONDITION, UPON MY WORD. I TURNED TO EMILY. "'What do you think of that? It's worse than cardew and slaughters.' "'It does seem rather provoking, but—' "'There was a twinkle in her eye. "'There may be ways of getting out of that. "'What was that about no man being allowed in the house?' "'No man, under any circumstances, is to be allowed to cross the doorstep. "'Nor indeed is any one, except the lady you have chosen to be your companion.' but what about my tom your tom who is he mr tom cooper is the gentleman to whom i am engaged to be married i am afraid that by the terms of the will no exception is made even in his favour i did not answer but i told myself that we would see about that if as emily hinted there were ways of getting the better of one condition it should not be my fault if means were not found to get the better of the other too almost immediately afterwards we started for the house all three of us again in the four-wheeler which had been waiting for us the whole of the time i wondered who was going to pay the fare it would make a hole in my 15 shillings end of chapter 6 recording by patty cunningham